Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, December the 21st, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and give the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Com. Well, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to everybody, Christmas week here. I'm sure you're knee-deep in holiday gifts, ice, snow, shoveling, snow blowing, whatever it is that you're doing where you are. And uh, the hot stove has slowed down, but we're still here, we're still doing another uh, edition of the, of the podcast. And uh, not much to talk about, it was a busy last Sunday, and I think we really, looking back as uh, the week unfolded, I thought we did a great job breaking down James McCann, breaking down before we even heard from Jared Porter, breaking down Jared Porter and uh, really being ahead of the curve as the, uh, the moves came in last Sunday with, with, uh, with the two big Mets moves. Now with the off season slowing down, what's the next domino to drop and when's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? And that's really the theme here today because I have a feeling we're going to see a major slowdown when it comes to transactions and free agency. Yeah, some of these smaller signings 
depth moves, minor league contracts, veterans, they'll happen. I mean, some of these guys are going to start to look. Once you get to January 1st, they're going to say, hey, hey, I got to get a job here. You know, even though spring training may be delayed, you're looking at about six weeks before pitchers and catchers. So it becomes real. And uh, so, you know, how is this going to go forward? That's really the big question. With the owners really cutting back, and you can see that. They're, they're trying to slow things down. I personally believe the whole DH non-committal from the league is a bargaining position, and it's also meant to drag out, maybe drag down some salaries of you know players like Nelson Cruz and guys like that that, that need the DH. It's basically so that there's not this burgeoning market for them. Because now you go from a market of half the league to the full league. guy like that obviously could get maybe a bigger contract, even at 40 years old. And I'll bring him up later because that's an interesting name when it comes to the Mets. So a little foreshadowing there. But for the Mets, the real domino that has to drop to move forward, it's really going to come down to Bauer versus Springer. And you can tie all this in to what you read from Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic uh, with with uh, JT Real Muto and McCann. Now, obviously, every time a move is made, there's always got to be... There was too much universal praise for James McCann. There's always ha- there's always got to be something about the naysayer or the executive that said. And, of course, it's always great executives that are not in the Mets position that are either a competitor of theirs or far off the map in another league saying, well... You should have waited. It's the armchair quarterback stuff, the Monday morning quarterback. It's the, you know, if you go left, I'll always say right type of thing. And, uh, you know, it's a fair point in the sense where if Real Muto winds up signing for a pillow contract, we talked about this last year, or for not much more in terms of, you know, years and dollars, even though the AAV will be higher than McCann, you could question it. If it's the Nationals, you're going to see him 18, 19 times a year. He's going to hurt you. It's going to even be worse, especially if McCann doesn't pan out. Now, all things considered, some of the early returns just from the Zoom conference, McCann's uh, erudite guy, he gets it, seems to have leadership qualities, talks about winning. I mean, it didn't seem one of those just can responses. The guy really uh, put you know some thoughts together and, and, and seemed engaging and, and gave you a different feel than what you normally would get on some of these press conferences. But that, you know, you don't know until you see him play, until you see him execute what he talks about, a thinking man's catcher, a thinking team's catcher, that kind of stuff. But taking that concept about Real Muto and the risk that the Mets went out there with, it seems like, especially when you're trying to build a team, and as I dived into the Mets pitching, forget the bullpen, we've been talking so much about it, the the Mets starting rotation and the offense – there are some needs here. This is not a complete team. This is not a team that you could go to spring training with today and say, wow, you know, they're they're contending for the NL East. They need more. They need they might be better than they were in 2020 in the shortened season, but there's as much doubts today in my opinion as there would have been pre-Steve Cohen coming in and becoming the owner. And I think some of his presence has overshadowed that. And maybe made people forget that this is still an incomplete roster and a roster that needs an upgrade in both pitching and now offense. And you're going to say, why? You've been saying the Mets have a top 10 offense. Well, they lost Robinson Cano, who is a very valuable piece. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. 
And I know you're rolling your eyes, but it's true. It's really true. And I think sometimes we got to look past the surface and some of the narratives that are out there to really understand the impact of a particular situation. So I've always said, and you heard last week, we were debating this with Joe DeMeo of That's So Mets Pod, that it would be, if you didn't go after Real Muto, it was Springer and Bauer the next logical move. I know you have 53 million of available space under the luxury tax. And I have to think there's a way of making those contracts in the in next year. They've done it before. What are the players? You lower the value of the out-the-door money next year, and then you obviously balloon it up later in the contract. The AAV comes out to the same. Now, the player has to agree to that, but there's a way to fit two of those stars under that type of you know soft cap, if you want to call it, the $53 million or so. Do the Mets want to take on that long-term liability? How does that impact Conforto and Syndergaard? Those are all fair questions. Again, with an owner that's flush with cash, I have to think there's ways of considering all that and getting two superstars of the level of Bauer and Springer in here. Um, And then the question as you go next is, well, it seems like they're only going to get one because that's really what's the plan if you want to read between the lines, whether it's Bob Clappish reporting that the owner wants one guy and Alderson wants another. Now Jared Porter's involved, so what's his take on the whole thing? Things have changed in the last couple of weeks. And uh, you saw Joel Sherman parse through some of Alderson's comments last week during the press conference where he talked about they have a need for a three or four starter. Does that mean they're not in on Bauer? Because Bauer's not a three or four starter. So if it comes down to Bauer versus Springer, who should it be? And then we're going to go through the pitching staff in a little bit. We're going to go through the offense, and then we're going to come to a talking Mets conclusion, which means absolutely nothing because none of us are in power. Uh, but it also gives you a chance to, for yourself, think about it a little bit and see who you want. I do believe, and this is one non-baseball, non-roster factor, that the one who shows the willingness to move along their contract negotiations very well might be where they start to get aggressive and go. And that has nothing to do with roster because both of these players are in need. Both of these players will significantly upgrade the Mets roster. And you could argue they need at least one of them because the drop-off after these players at their positions is not significant where you're going into the bargain bin, but it changes the dynamic of that particular part of the roster. You go from maybe building an elite rotation to having to put together a very good rotation with certainly some question marks in the back end. On the offensive side, if you don't get Springer, you could still bring in a quality outfield bat for the corner. Michael Brantley comes up a little bit there, but he's another lefty in a lineup that has a lot of lefties already. Maybe even go to Nelson Cruz in the DH spot, if there's a DH, you have to wait that out, and put Dom Smith in the outfield. And if you don't have a DH, then it throws the whole thing into a a disarray where now maybe your offense is set, but you're going with J.D. Davis at third base. And then do you give some credence to what I believe is just clickbait, these rumors of trades with Nolan Arenado? Personally, my advice, anything that has to do with a proposed deal or a team engaging on a trade front or fans getting excited or blogs getting excited about making proposals for Arenado or Lindor or or Chris Bryan or any player 
under contract that requires assets to be traded to get them back. That's what it is, winter clickbait. Because to me, there's no indication that that is even remotely realistic with the with the with the Mets assets they have right now, with their ability to rip through their farm system. I am not interested in trading out from the core guys like McNeil, Nimmo. Not interested in that. I've been saying that for a couple of years. There was a tweet the other day with the top ten or so uh, runs created offensive players, guys who have the best run creation in team history. Now, I know that there's plate appearances that are skewed in there, but Nimmo's in there. Uh, McNeil is in there. There are guys on this roster now that, in the scope of Mets history, are some of the best hitters we've seen in the team history. And you want to trade them away for somebody who could potentially be a free agent who's expensive and uh, and, and remake the whole roster. Sometimes over-tweaking is a bad thing. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll start with the pitching staff. What does it look like with Bauer? What does it look like without Bauer? And can the Mets land? Let's really dive deeper into it. Can the Mets land in a, in a good place without Bauer? It's tricky. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Mets fans love David Wright. Anthony DeComo, author of the book The Captain, David Wright's memoir, joined the Talking Mets podcast and answered my question about his thoughts on the legacy of the former Mets captain. Well, I think he's also a player that you can't judge solely on what he did on the field uh, because he meant so much to the franchise. He, uh, both from a leadership capacity, he was obviously named the fourth captain in franchise history, um, but just the way that he represented the team, continues to represent the team, you know, he meant more than just your typical, not, not that there's ever a typical seven-time All-Star, but he meant more than your typical seven-time All-Star. So, Yes, I think there is certainly disappointment that he couldn't replicate those Hall of Fame caliber years into his 30s and be that guy and ultimately make it to Cooperstown uh, because he was that good at the peak of his prime. Uh, But I think when you look back at his career on balance, still the best position player in Mets history. Um, You know, one of the better players that we've seen here in New York in a long, long time. And you take the fact that he was that Hall of Fame caliber player, at least for a while. You package it together for everything that I just said in terms of what he did for the franchise, what he did to legitimize. I mean, he made this a Mets town for a while there in the the mid-2000s, and that takes some doing. So package it all together, package it with the leadership, the fact that he was the captain, the fact that when you think New York Mets, even today, a couple years after... He played his final game. You still think David Wright. He's still one of the more prominent names that pops immediately into your head. Uh, You know, I I think you can't really put a measure on that in terms of its impactfulness. So, yeah, it it was a successful career by any stretch, I think it's fair to say. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. When you talk about the Mets rotation, and I'm not going to get into depth here. We know that they need more depth. You know, you know who the minor leaguers are. We know all the question marks with the depth. I'm going to just talk about building a starting rotation because that's what the conversation is when you get into Trevor Bauer and players of that ilk. And I think there's a very narrow group of players when you talk about ideal, which is Bauer, and then next tier which the next tier really comes down to when you want to get a floor of some guarantees. 
and the names like Paxton will come up, T1 Walker. Um, but there's those are guys with injury history. When you talk about guys that you have some sort of confidence that are going to be able to make 28, 25, 28, 30 starts of quality. It's Masahiro Tanaka and Jake Odorizzi. That's really the two names that continue to for me without making a deal with another team's pitchers. And I know Luis Castillo's name came up, young pitcher. It's, again, pipe dream to me, unless you're really ready to rip apart whatever high-level prospect capital you have. So let's put that aside. We're not going to talk about clickbait articles. We're going to talk about what is much, much more realistic. So you look at Bauer, and let's put him there. That's the target. But you'll have to look at the rotation first and, and, and see where... You want this rotation to be. Now, two years ago, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Vargas, Mats, and then Stroman came in and replaced Vargas to elevate it even more. A rotation that in the second half of 2019, only the Houston Astros, when you talk about win shares and talk about advanced metrics, only the Houston Astros were better. This was a team that was middle of the pack in the first half, struggled a lot. DeGrom got off to a slow start. Syndergaard had their, his struggles. Mats was awful at times. No Stroman in the rotation. Vargas actually was somewhat of a positive, and that's what got the, them to be able to even trade him, uh, giving them real quality at fifth starts, five or six innings of, of pretty good quality at that point. And Wheeler, as he emerged, was huge in the second half as he almost became DeGrom light in the second half. Now, I don't know without Bauer if you could achieve that same level. Top, you know, they were top 10 in, in 2019, and you could probably get back into the top 10. Now, even as bad as that rotation was last year, and I was looking in this truncated season, ERA starting pitchers over five, you know, more than a hit, well more than a hit per inning. But when you look at their advanced metrics, the FIP uh, war, you know, they're more towards the middle of the pack, which makes it. Uh, not as bad. I mean, they're they're not great, uh, but they're much more towards the middle of the pack, and there's much more hope. And this is a starting rotation that was using openers, uh, that was patching it together, had awful starts from Steven Matz. You know, that guy's, uh, you know, Ariel Hirado made a start. I mean, you just really had no depth. And once you lost Stroman, once you lost Syndergaard, that rotation was ripped apart. Waka and, and Porcello were not good. So you're you're looking at a very low bar, in my opinion, to upgrade. And you're already working from a middle-of-the-pack status. So maybe some of the stuff they're doing from a coaching standpoint, uh, you know, putting guys in a position to succeed, maybe it's working. So we have to put that into play. We can't see that. And to quote Bill James, who had a great piece about Jared Porter, when he talked about the value of bringing in a, a Porter that – Things that we do, that we talk about, talk radio and everything, which is the top-level baseball stuff, the stuff that we have access to, well, it's the ground-level stuff that Porter's good at because he started out in that basement in Fenway Park with the Red Sox and all those bright minds that now are getting big jobs across the game. And it's the ground-level stuff that's really going to make a difference. And now that they have a guy like Porter here, I mean, that's to me, that was the best praise. I mean, everybody wrote an article about Porter and... You know, his scouting chops and how much he learned going to these Gulf Coast League games and the hours he put in as a young intern. Well, guess what? Learning those ground-level processes that Theo Epstein and 
organizations like the Cubs and the Red Sox have done successfully, well, guess what? He's bringing them here. So you already got something to work with. But from this point, from our conversation here, it's really going to be more about top-level stuff. So how can the Mets build a rotation that is somewhat equal to 2019, gets into that top 10? Maybe it's not going to be elite, second-half elite, where it's the second-best rotation in baseball, uh, but it's somewhere in between middle of the pack, first half, and elite, and fall to the middle. Now, the only way I see this rotation returning to 2019 second-half elite levels is by signing a Trevor Bauer. Because even if you don't believe that Bauer is DeGrom and that Bauer is emerging into an elite second part of his career, and uh, is he going to take the next step similar to what Jared Cole did getting out of Pittsburgh? I know you're going to say he went to Houston and they worked on him with their labs and their analytics, but sometimes getting out, forget all that for a minute. Getting out of a bad situation, um, a losing environment. You saw this with Bauer as he moved through. Now, he's winning teams in Cleveland and Cincinnati, but once you make that breakthrough and you get to the next level, sometimes you take it to an even higher level when you get to a different opportunity in your career. Those are things that are not based on analytics. Those are things that just happen. It's not all just getting into the lab and learning about your pitch sequence. It's about the situation you're in, changes scenery, environment, all those things that we can't measure. And we don't know because we're not in the guy's head. But they are things that historically have have elevated pitchers into another stratosphere. But even if you don't believe that that guy is going to be DeGrom and that he's going to be a little bit of an overpaid DeGrom light, you're still getting as good if not better, and probably, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, less injury risk out of Bauer than you would have at Wheeler, who would be cheaper, but still is going to be making close to $25 million a year. Let's face it. Still going to be, you know, you're not paying. When you look at what Wheeler's Wheeler received last year and what's left, and if, if Bauer gets into that, Patrick Corbin, Zach Grinke, $150, $160 million range, five, six years, not that much different. It's more money, but you're not talking significantly difference in terms of investment. And I think he's as good, if not better, and he's less of an injury risk. That's the only way, because at that point, then, you've got DeGrom. You've got your wheel of replacement in Bauer. Uh, at number five, we'll go back now. In the middle of the rotation, you have Stroman, who's going to give you somewhere in between Wheeler and Syndergaard, and they're very good or they're very bad. That, that little range over there he's number three and then you get to the back end of the rotation um can Matt's give you what Vargas did sure I think he can and can Peterson give you somewhere in that Vargas floor of what you were getting with Stroman coming over who struggled a little bit and remember I haven't even put in that's the number six guy because you you know when you sign Bauer your number six guy then well, your hope is by Memorial Day, your number six guy is Syndergaard. And then you have a conversation where who's the guy that's the odd man out? Is it Mats? Is it Peterson? You know, can Matt, you know, Matt still has to make the team. That's where it is. I mean, he could not make the team. But let's assume Mats gives you something more towards 2019 uh, league average, slightly below league average. He's basically Jason Vargas. And he's Jason Vargas. With, a, with the ability to go to the top of the rotation or middle of the rotation for stretches. So that's that's a much better version of Jason Vargas. 
And Peterson, I know he's a rookie and he showed promise and, and you know, we don't know as he gets and expands outside of just the small sample size of one division or two divisions that he pitched against. But if he can continue to build on that, I can't see why he can't be something similar. You know, they're not number ones. Maybe their ceiling is number three. But Vargas at times really could never get past, you know, five innings. These guys can go six or seven innings. They've shown that at times. So the only way, in my opinion, that you're going to get to that level is with Bauer. Now, if you don't believe that that's the right move and he, you know, drags this thing out and maybe he's using New York and Cohen and their money to get a better contract from a team like uh, the Angels or go back out to the Dodgers or something like that, go back to his California roots, maybe the Yankees are lurking. Who knows? We don't know. You hear so many different things there. Then what's the next step? And that's where it gets tricky because I think you could still get a rotation that's in the top tier of baseball. I don't think it'll ever be, for any stretch, the elite dominant rotation because I think there's guys that are going to give you very good but imperfect performance over a stretch. The two guys, though, the only way you get this rotation to me where you feel good about going to battle with them and the concept of Syndergaard coming back and being patient with Syndergaard coming back. That's Tanaka and Odorizzi. Now, Odorizzi statistically has had seasons like what you saw out of Wheeler and Syndergaard at times over the last couple of years. Tanaka, not so much, but he's a guy, and I was thinking about what Joe DeMeo said last week. Tanaka is a guy that will give you innings, has pitched quality, high quality in the postseason, and seems to always, even with this... uh, strain tendon that he's had for years always is in that 25 28 30 start range 180 innings wins you 10 11 12 games he's keeping you in the ball game yeah he's gonna have a stinker here and there but everybody does that so that's not necessarily Wheeler's second half I'm not sure he's Stroman at a high level because you know Stroman is is a top pick you know Stroman's a guy that some feel can win at Cy Young we may be undervaluing Strowman as as we speak about him here. But if you really want to get back, because you, you're assuming that Syndergaard and Wheeler, even though Syndergaard's coming back, you can't assume that he's going to be the same pitcher. You can't. You don't know. You don't know what he's going to come back from Tommy John. He could struggle like Wheeler did his first year back. You just you, you have to, even though it, people downplay Tommy John surgery, you shouldn't because you don't know how he's going to react. So... That rotation's still very good. Uh, it's a rotation that comes with a little bit more risk, although I think their floor is a lot higher than Waka, a lot higher than Porcello. Uh, when I speak about Tanaka and Odorizzi, there is risk. I mean, you saw Odorizzi uh, have an injury-plagued year, maybe anomaly. Uh, you know, he's only had one all-star season. He's not an overpowering guy, but he seems to know how to pitch. Tanaka is the safer route, but he's also now north of 30. What do the Yankees not know that? What do the Yankees know that we don't know? Now they could still bring him back, and I know they have young pitchers, and I know there's a budgetary constraint now with the Yankees, and maybe they're putting all that money into DJ LeMahieu or trying to, but it's very unlike the Yankees just to let somebody who have this kind of you know, veteran quality just walk. It makes you wonder because starting pitching is a commodity that's not going to be easy to come by. Now you look at guys like Taiwan Walker. You know, in that kind of uh, ilk, they're they're yeah, he was great in 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 the shortened season. This is a guy that's had a ton of injuries. 
you're bringing in a guy that could be shelved. And you really don't have the luxury. You need some level you need some level of significance where you feel, hey, this guy's gonna be on the field. Now I haven't even brought up Lugo, who is the ultimate wild card in all this, because I think Lugo could be a really quality number three. I don't know if Lugo could uh I don't know if Lugo could give you what you got in that second half out of Wheeler. I don't know if he'll ever be what Syndergaard is, even as the, I mean, not Syndergaard 2016, but Syndergaard who who had those frustrating inconsistencies in 17 and 18 and sometimes 19, maybe more like 18 and 19. But he's in play here, and he's somebody that actually, you could even make the argument, I was talking about Matt's, Maybe he's your guy that could be your five and give you that middle of the rotation quality that Vargas can't, you know, necessarily necessarily couldn't consistently. So you've got some things in play, but I still think the way that you get to this rotation back to 2019 second half is with Bauer. No other way. Now it's still a very good rotation with any of those other moves, and I'll tell you what. Uh, don't discount the fact that Lugo in the bullpen still may be necessary. There's talk of Liam Hendricks. I know they got Trevor May, you know, Edwin Diaz. We know all the things. But you still got a lot of guys in that bullpen. And I don't want to get too deep in the bullpen because this is about Bauer. This is about the rotation. But you got guys like Familia and Betances and Brock that walk a lot of guys and have been very inconsistent. And at times, I don't know if those are the guys you know that you want to put, at least early on until they prove themselves, in tight, high-leverage games because they're going to put runners on base, and they're going to make things dicey. Your best bet is Lugo, who, when he's been on and used consistently, used correctly, and he has some help now with a May, where you, 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 if he can't go more than three out of five days, it's not the end of the world because you've got other options. Um, you know, you may need him in those situations. If you're talking about it in a winning environment, not what's best for Lugo. What's best for Lugo's career is competing for a rotation spot, for sure. So I think the Mets can land somewhere where they were as a whole season. When you look at their struggles in the first half and then their dominance in the second half as a starting rotation in 2019, I think they can land, I think they landed about seven. When you, and you're using Fangrass Advanced Metrics War. That's what you're using. Whether you like that stat or not, I'm just using something that uh, brings a lot of numbers together. I think they can, but you have a very thin margin of error. If any of these guys like Odorizzi or Tanaka go off the board or have the inclination that they're going to go off the board and Bauer wants to drag this thing out till February, then you got to pivot and you got to move and you got to grab one of these guys and then it gets a conversation about the offense, which is what we'll talk about that and more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. When you talk about the Mets offense, we've we've talked about this a lot. Elite offense, in my opinion. Top five in all of baseball. You got great foundation. Conforto has seemed to find his uh his star. You know, you have McNeil, I think Alonzo, even with the struggles, 
You know you're going to get power and leadership out of him. Dom Smith, I know we still have to see him through a full, real season, but I think there's enough there that you know you're going to get a really quality left-handed bat. Jimenez with the glove. I think J.D. Davis at third base, if it really came down to it, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me. I think the guy's got a very good bat. Guy could hit 300, get on base, 280 to 300, hit you 25 home runs. A hard worker. I think he's going to continue to prove on defense, improve on defense. And you all know what I think about Brandon Nimmo. Guy's very underrated. He's a, a run creation machine. And now you got a catcher that's going to give you what you would expect out of Ramos, but really good defense, hopefully. So you have there. But... As you now dive into it a little bit, and there's also the non-DH or the DH. With the DH, the Mets are a bat short. And now you're stopping and saying, well, what do you mean? You just said they're elite offense. Well, what they've produced over the last couple of years has Robinson Cano in there. And I know you're rolling your eyes, but Robinson Cano produced in the second half of 2019. You, you know, everybody talked about the, you know, the, nobody talked about actually the hit by pitches on the hands, which had a big impact. He, he was a, a big part of their offensive turnaround. Even Luis Rojas, I'm, I'm sure there was some politeness to that, but nobody has said that he was a bad apple in the clubhouse. He knows the game. He's been around the game a long time. He grew up in an elite organization with the Yankees. There's value to understanding what this guy could bring to the table. Yeah, the steroids, we get it. You know, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, bad stuff. But let's not let that, because we don't know... Uh, everything about that we know he failed the test cloud the fact that the Mets lost a very impactful hitter a guy that was impactful offensively in run creation at his position and it was a big part of the offense last year specifically when for a period when guys like Alonzo and McNeil were struggling he was carrying them offensively and he was really good and he was in the middle of that lineup and he's a veteran that knows how to play the game and knows how to hit he's gone he's not coming back maybe ever but certainly you won't see him till 2022. So let's look at your non-DH lineup. You have Alonzo at first. You have McNeil at second. You either have Rosario or Jimenez at short. Let them battle it out. You've got J.D. Davis at third. You've got McCann behind the plate. Conforto in right. Nimmo in center. Dom Smith in left. Now, not the greatest defensive lineup, but that lineup can rake. And I think the point of bringing in George Springer would be to balance out the offense and defensive components of the Mets who have been much more offensive-leaning, let's say, over the last few years, maybe the last decade. That's a whole nother story. So you throw the DH in there. Now Pete Alonso, let's say, is the DH. Dom Smith slides to first, or you keep it the same. You don't have a DH. Who's your DH? Jose Peraza, a scrap heap pickup? Uh, who's your DH? Is it, you know, does... Uh, does J.D. Davis go to D.H. and you put Rosario. They've talked about Rosario being your third baseman. Interesting. Guillermo Heredia? Who's your D.H.? You don't have an answer here because there is no D.H. You don't have one. You don't, you're a bat short. So now this becomes a necessity, the Mets getting a bat, especially if there's a D.H. And you start to look at, well, where can they upgrade? Well, they have third base. But we talked about Arenado. I just don't think it's realistic. So where do you go if you don't like D, uh, if you want to move JD Davis out of that position, and you move into DH? Who's your third baseman? Is it Rosario that gets a chance to win that job, or do you go out there and you sign? Is Marwin Gonzalez? There's Justin Turner. There's not much. 
You got some foreign options. You got some KBO, uh, Japanese options. We don't know much about them. Todd Frazier was your guy. I mean, he's still out there. I don't think fans want to see them go back to that. Estrubal Cabrera is out there. It's not as exciting of an option there when you look at that. And I'm obviously, I'm, I'm going through this whole thing. Now, the real impact would be, well, you have Springer. He'd be perfect. You know, you, you're looking at Arenado's owed, what, five years and $199 million. I mean, I'm sure Springer's going to want to be in that that world. He's going to want $30 million a year. And he's probably going to want seven years. I mean, Trout's making $37 million. Lorenzo Cain's making sixteen. You got Justin Upton in like a 22, 23, 24. Springer's better than those, you know, not Trout, but Springer's better than those other two guys. He's not Trout, but, you know, he's not that far off from being Bryce Harper. That's where that Harper contract is a problem because it really skews going forward players. If I was Springer, I'd look at Harper go, I'm as good as that guy. Maybe I don't have the covers of Sports Illustrated like he does, but I'm 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 as good as that guy. So then where do you go if, if Springer goes to Toronto and or it doesn't work out or he gets it gets silly with the money? Unlikely, where do you go? You got you know, you need a right handed bat, so if you want to go right handed, you got Michael Brantley. He's a good offensive run producer, gets on base, solid hitter. You got Yazo Puig. He's a right fielder more than a left fielder, but I mean I, you want to keep Conforto in right, so let's just stick to left. You know, who's in left? You know, you, you look, you got uh, Jay Bruce, lefty. I think we've been there, done that. Kyle Schwaber. I don't know if that's... I don't. Just because you have a glove doesn't mean you're a left fielder. There is Marcelo Zuna. I know there's been some talk about him keeping a tab on him. So you got Marcelo Zuna out there. So you could fall into that a little bit. There's not a lot of options. Now, there is one option, and it re- it means that you're now going to make Dom Smith a left fielder and commit to Nimmo in center. And that's going after, and this was a player that Sandy Alderson, if you remember, when he signed with Baltimore back in 2014, there was talk of the Mets, who desperately needed an outfielder, desperately needed pop in the outfielder, were going to go after and try to get on a short-term pillow contract, and that's Nelson Cruz, who actually has been in the Mets organization, was traded for Jorge Valandia back in 2000 when the Mets needed some veteran glove uh, bench depth when they were in the process of winning a pennant. Amazing to me because Cruz jumped on the scene back with Texas in 2010, 2011, when they went to those back-to-back World Series, had a big series in one of those against Detroit. But who would have thought... 10 years later, that he's got over 400 home runs, a 133 OPS plus, a, a, an OPS of 880. Really, uh, one-dimensional because he can't play the field, and he hasn't played the field in a couple of years, but going to be in the conversation for the Hall of Fame. These are Hall of Fame numbers. This is a guy that drives in over 100 runs. It's 35 home runs a year. Hits for a high average. Um, you tell me at 40 years old that the Mets get a one- or two-year deal, and I know Minnesota wants him back badly, a one- or two-year deal with Nelson Cruz, if there is a DH, I'm not going to complain about that. A perfect righty bat that slides in there in the event that you can't go out and get George Springer. And I'm going to say the same thing. George Springer is another situation where the Mets got to figure out what's going on here. In the sense where 
if he wants to drag things out. So if you got Bauer and Springer dragging things out till Valentine's Day to try to get the best contract possible, which would big guys like that are going to potentially do it because they know that there's going to be a contract for them. Some of the second-tier guys, even in Odorizzi, I mean, there'll be a contract for him, and there seems to be a lot of competition for him. But they're less inclined to play musical chairs because it could, even though you get a contract, the drop-off in finances is big. For a guy like Cruz, uh, for a guy like Springer, worst-case scenario, he just signs for one year and he goes back out in the market. I mean, that he could do that. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. Same thing for Bauer, who in the past has indicated he'll do a short-term contract and is kooky enough to do something like that thinking that he could go out regular, you know, full season for the most part, maybe somewhere, prove his worth, prove he wasn't just a flash in the pan in a short season in a, in a truncated schedule against specific not-so-great offensive teams in a division. He might go out there and prove himself. So you're playing, again, it's, it's morphed now where we've talked about Bauer versus Springer for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it's Bauer versus Springer versus time versus the market. Because Cruz gets off the board, Brantley gets off the board, and if you don't sign Springer then, what do you got left? Big drop-off. And you really do need a righty bat, because the Mets are very lefty-centric. Dom Smith, McNeil. You know, if Jimenez is a switch hitter, but, you know, you got Jimenez in there. Nimmo. Conforto. Need I go on? So, to me, you know, this is, the pressure's on here. The goodwill of Cohen and the money and talking about the black jerseys and Carvel sprinkles on Twitter and Old Timers Day on Twitter, that's all good. That'll get you through some of the dead times here in the dead stove while it's 25 degrees outside and you can't go anywhere because of quarantines and whatnot. But it's going to get old really quick. And when you wake up on Valentine's Day and you're left without... Springer or Bauer, or God forbid you wait around and Tanaka and Odorizzi go fly the coop. And now you're with another version of Porcello and Waka, pick a name, and you're looking at, you know, maybe value-driven options to round out the designated hitter or third base or a Todd Frazier veteran type for third base, and you move J.D. Davis to the DH. It's still a very good offense, but I don't think you're going to be happy. And McCann will improve the staff, and that's, you know, behind the plate. That's big. And you've got a better bullpen, hopefully, with Trevor May. And maybe you reinvest some of that money, if if that happens, into a super bullpen, bringing in Liam Hendricks and who knows, you know, who else you could get there, maybe Archie Bradley. And all of a sudden, you're like, hmm, that's not that bad. But I know what some people are thinking. Well, we'll just go out and try to trade for Arenado, Chris Bryant, Lindor. You're not looking at those. Lindor is going to be very hard. Arenado, you might be able to. And by the way, with Arenado, did you look at his road numbers? Forget last year he had a bad year. Look at his road numbers. Now he's still very good on the road, especially the last, you know, 2019, 2018, but big drop-off. Much more pedestrian. I'll be honest with you, gold glove third baseman, power, 800 OPS, Scott Rowland-esque. I don't know if that's $35, $40 million a year, though. I think that's more $25. So you're overpaying a little bit there. And if he doesn't like New York... From what I was told from someone who knows him pretty well, more of a West Coast guy. He's been out there in the Rocky Mountains in obscurity. 
A lot of people have felt he wanted to go to the Dodgers and be out there on the West Coast. Not necessarily that rah-rah leader type wants to fit in. That's okay. You could deal with that. But in New York, when you come here with that kind of money, and if you have to give up some serious assets to get him, you can't just blend into the woodworks. You know that. You know that really well. Anybody listening to this program knows that really well. So to me right now, you need a bat. And I would not discount Nelson Cruz as a backup. It does not address your defense. And I certainly know that that you're rolling your eyes. But if you ask me, up the middle, with what Nimmo brings offensively, you get yourself a defensive caddy, i.e. Jake Marisnik. Maybe you have that. You have Malik Smith out there. You got her, her, uh, Heredia has, has, has panned out well. We don't know much about him. but We know uh, Guillermo Heredia is there. Uh, I would prefer somebody, you know, with a little bit more of a track record like a Marisnik and maybe a righty bat, but, you know, not really probably room on the roster to do that two times over. Um, it's not that bad. You got, you, you're improving your defense at short with Jimenez. You're, you've improved your defense behind the plate. You have strikeout pitchers on the staff. You might have to live with that. It's a very real situation. And to me, Nelson Cruz on a short-term deal, is a very enticing option if you can't land Springer. And there's the problem. I don't know how long he's going to wait. He's probably going to wait it out to see what the DH situation is. And that's the real rub. The league, again, baseball, and I and I understand it's business, but again, baseball doesn't do the right thing. This is where you piss the Players Association off. Let's give them clarity. You're going to have a universal DH. You know it. I know it. It's going to happen eventually. And if it doesn't happen in 2021, it's just for CBA bargaining stuff. Why fight that? That's the, I don't think that personally, and I'm not into the negotiations. I'd have to have someone much smarter than I. I don't think that's the battle to fight. That's my opinion. But, you know, baseball has always fought stupid battles. And this seems to be one of them. And, and, and then if you don't have a DH, then you're, you're actually in pretty good shape because you're lucky Dom Smith could play the corner. If not, then you'd have yourself a real pickle. Then you might have to trade Alonzo with Smith. And it's a whole different debate. And no, I'm not comfortable at Rosario third every day. And I, I laugh because now you saw Rojas come out and say Rosario's not going to play the outfield. Because it's a pretty tough thing to do. I loved how fans and media, oh, put a center fielder's glove on him. Have you seen Keith Miller? Have you seen Juan Samuel? You know how hard it is? He's gotta, how many years he's got to do reps down in the minors? At this point in his career, he's a big leaguer. You can't do that on the fly. You want him to you know, pitch while he's at it, come out of the bullpen? Play first base, catch, come on. Anyway, so it comes down to, I'll, we'll take a quick break. When I come back, what's the final call here? We talked about Bauer versus Springer. That was the theme. What's the final call? We'll have that and more right after this. Bobby Valentine was a polarizing figure during his time as Mets manager. Who better to give us a balanced view of how it was playing for him than Hall of Famer Mike Piazza? Charming guy. Sweetheart guy, obviously, when you meet him, he ingratiates you, you feel, and it's sincere. I mean, it's not fake. Uh, Smart as hell. One of the smartest baseball guys I've ever seen. Extremely well at evaluating talent. Uh, Now to swing over to the other side, huge ego. um, Kind of like a, a, you know, one of these gamblers. I I play a little bit of Texas Hold'em poker, and you're playing with these guys at the table and you're trying to figure them out, you know, you're trying to figure out tells and whatnot. And it just seemed like he was that guy that shoved in every hand, you know, and really liked to let it roll. 
I remember one game, I think we were playing Baltimore in an inner uh, league game, playing in Baltimore, but he took away the DH and somehow did some kind of move to where basically took the DH away. You know, I remember all the media saying, oh, he's, he liked getting criticized so he could shove it, you know, wh where the sun doesn't shine to people. And I think that was good and bad. And, and he used to play little tricks as far as just to mo try to motivate me. Like I, I wrote about it in my book one day where he said, oh, you have off tomorrow. And then I came walking in and I was in the lineup. You know, I caught like a weekend. It was a day game after night game. And I thought I was going to be off. And then he had told the media before that, you know, he was kind of playing with my head a little bit. And I was furious. You know, I wanted to just basically knock him out. I kind of, you know, I grit my teeth. I got through it. I think we won the games. So I think the point is, I mean, you know, I remember Chris Wheeler from the Phillies used to, couldn't stand Bobby. I mean, and used to call him top step Bobby, you know? Yep. So he would always be on the top step of the dugout, you know, kind of head in the stands, you know, like, hey, look at me, you know? And he had that little bit of a sort of a Hollywood mentality. I could play for anyone. I played hard. I, I didn't like always sometimes a little bit of the mental judo that he would he would do. But ultimately as a player, if you play hard, you keep your nose down and you don't really try to get inside his head, you 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 can survive and you can thrive. Listen to this and more at ww.talkimetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. And here's the real answer to the debate. Bauer versus Springer. So you heard Joel Sherman foreshadow that the Mets are probably going to, because Sandy Olison talked about a third or fourth starter, maybe focus more on Springer. I, I can understand that. And Bob Clappish said the owner wants one guy and Sandy Alderson wants another. I think uh, Cohen wants Bauer and Sandy Alderson wants Springer. Now you got a new GM, Jared Porter, in there. What does he want? He has a say, a pretty big say. And you saw me outline where the Mets have to get back to where I – and you, obviously there's some people who didn't think the 2019, 2019 team was that good. I think it was. Like the bullpen undid them. I think that was a team that made, should have made the playoffs uh, with, a, with a decent bullpen and you know, could have went far with that pitching staff. I mean, when you're second in all of baseball in pitching, you're going to be well-positioned in the postseason. Forget about the defense and all the other issues that you could bring up with any team has issues. So in a vacuum, I still believe going after the pitcher is important. And I think you could land and, and, and aggressively figure out the DH position somehow. I really do. I think the pitching is where I, and that's where I would go with Bauer. I still think that you got to try to make a splash and find out how to fit both under that $53 million luxury tax space if that's an issue, and I'm sure it is. I don't think the new owner wants to tick off his club by going over the luxury tax, coming off a pandemic season, coming into a, another season where you have some sketchy revenues. So let's assume that's not going to happen. There's got to be a creative way to get that those dollars to work out and still field whatever depth you need in the roster throughout the remaining payroll. You might have to move some things around. Uh, you know, Who knows? There's a, that's, that's a deeper conversation. Uh, I'm not saying that's likely, but that's that's not... 100% unlikely, and it's not crazy. But when you really factor in, yeah, I want Bauer. I want the pitcher. I want that. I think that's what's the differentiation in the postseason. You can have some real fun times with a good offense and lesser pitching in the regular season. Look, the 99 Mets, perfect example, lesser starting rotation. But 
They had a very, very elite bullpen. And I'm not sure, even with a Liam Hendricks signing, I'm not sure I'm ready to... There's been so many... Frank Francisco, John Roush, uh, Tyler Clippert. How many names? Other than Addison Reed, the Mets' history in the last 10 years of bringing in relievers, thinking that they're going to bridge that gap to the closer. And uh, and we and they got a shaky closer. If you want to talk about Diaz, it's it's a, it's an interesting, tricky situation. And then if you put Lugo in there, it's a little different. But yeah, if you want to build a really really good bullpen like the '99 Mets, sure you can do that. But let's let's say history in the last ten years says that the Mets haven't been able to do that. You got to go with the pitcher, and then figure out the bat. And you might you could also acquire a bat during the regular season. To me, there's enough offense here where the upgrade in the pitching is more significant than the offense. Now, here's where really reality and fantasy and this conversation and this show interjects, and that's time. Who has, as musical chairs play out, and as the second tier starts to get nervous, as they want to sign, and if Bauer and Springer have the desire to hang back, You've got to move forward without either one or both, and you've got to pounce. And that was a scenario that Joel Sherman of the Post outlined where the Mets with Cohen's money can dominate and maybe sign multiples. Maybe you sign Liam Hendricks and Odorizio Tanaka and somebody else. But the name I would look out for, and I keep going back to it, that you can potentially sign on a short deal, and he may hang around because of this whole DH situation, is Nelson Cruz. Think about it. Think about it. So to me, it would be about the pitcher. But most importantly now, I'm going to throw in, i got to stop putting the proverbial pressure on both these guys and say, what's your, what's your timeline here? Because your timeline is spring training. Well, I need to now figure out how to plug those other holes. And that's exactly why the criticism of the Mets not waiting for Real Muto is unwarranted. Because now you would have been adding that into the equation, and your drop-off after that was big. You're looking at Tomas Nito, maybe Tyler Flowers, the name came up. Now you're really playing dangerous games with the musical chairs of free agency. And now you could be walking into spring training with the same roster. And and look, new owner or not, it's not a good enough roster to win. It wasn't in 2020. I told you. Very quickly I saw when those injuries came down. Yeah, you got Stroman coming back, but that you didn't have last year. When you have those injuries come down, I said this is a second division club. This is a club in, in, in a regular uh, season. And maybe I'm being harsh because I looked at the advanced metrics on the starting rotation. Maybe it would have improved, but you were piecing together some of that in a short season. Over the long haul, I can't see the Mets' depth with the Herados and the Erasmo Ramirez and guys like that that were their depth. I don't think that they were going to be able to piece together 162-game normal season with that starting rotation and not be clobbered. It was going to be looking more like what you saw in 2017 as uh, you know, they were really bad that you know the pitchers went down. They were really bad because the depth just evaporated. It disappeared. And they were a bad team down the stretch there in 2017. So so it really comes down to, I want the pitcher. Time is the really of the essence. You've got to see which one can sign quicker so you can address the needs that are now part of whatever payroll that particular individual sucks up. Because you have needs on both the starting rotation and the offense. I could probably live with the bullpen the way it is with some maybe scrap heap options coming in. But I'd like another bullpen arm. I don't know if that's asking for too much. But those two needs, the offense and the pitching, they need it. They need to replace Cano's bat. You guys laugh. They have to replace Cano's bat, and they're not good enough on the starting rotation right now. They need another arm. 
and they cannot fall below that Odorizzi Tanaka level because now you're going back to the Wakas and the Porcellos and guys that their floors, quite simply, were not competitive. And maybe the Porcello could come back and be better, but do you want to trust that? Is that what you want to go back into the season with that uncertainty? I don't. All right, so final thoughts here. Hopefully you enjoyed this show, a little bit of mental bubble gum. Um, so what's the, the plan for the holidays? Obviously we're going to sit back and review what the market is doing. I think it's going to be a very much a cold stove. I don't think you're going to see a lot. I think you're going to see a lot of clickbait on trades. I think you're going to see a lot of manufactured articles because as you get into the holidays, I think the league is slowing down. And what you're seeing here is – because there's really no deadline and there was no meetings. I think the winter meetings, although they were, they were becoming outdated, the winter meetings provided a sense of urgency and owners wanting to be on that podium and getting caught up in the spirit of the meetings and the holidays and winning the offseason. In a lot of ways, it's a good thing for teams because now they're not pressured to win the offseason. But it's bad from an entertainment standpoint because – Things are not happening, and people are disengaging in the sport. But you also have other things, and, and I, I think this idea that a sport can't be successful unless it's in someone's face, you know, twenty four seven. To me, that's that's just not that's not true. There's going to be downtime. You have the NBA, you have the NFL, you have other type of inter- of uh, interests that are going on. Uh, so you know that's where I'm at. But I, I was reading an article where Frank Cashin was uh, it was back in the early 80s, and I think there was actually a deadline on interleague trades at one point. It sounded like you had until a certain date in December to make an interleague trade, and then you couldn't make one until March. So there was talk about how they were trying to acquire somebody, and maybe there's some deadlines you could put out there, but I don't like that because you're messing with people's livelihood, and the players are already going to be under the gun with the owners trying to basically cut out their... Um, you know, cut cut out of their benefits, cut out of their salary. They're going to try to cut back. So to me, any situation you put in there to cut back and make things more difficult for the players, I'm not for that because it's only going to make things worse. So there you're at that. So uh, so I think it's going to be a cold stove. I think that's the point. Um, but we're here, and we'll be ready to talk about a big move, and we'll have shorts or emergency podcasts and, and shows and things like that. What I am going to do is I had a chance to catch up, and I want you guys to hear it, and I believe I'm going to release it. I'm going to record it before, but I'll release it as somewhat of a Christmas present to you guys for being so loyal and helping grow this program this year. Uh, Bill Madden, he uh, wrote a book about Tom Seaver, and he's been going around making the rounds and going around doing shows and podcasts. I thought I had a great conversation with him. I think although you probably heard enough about Seaver and think you know everything about Seaver, and you probably do – Bill Madden will join me, and you'll hear that interview, and I think you'll get a different take about Tom Seaver. Bill was close with Seaver. He was very close with him towards the end of his life, and I think you'll get a feel of Tom Seaver as a person that maybe the public persona and the stories and the narratives may not have been able to show you, especially in his later years where he unfortunately uh, left us way too soon. So that will prob- that plan is Christmas Day. That'll be released. It'll be re- pre- it's obviously pre-recorded. It'll be straight about Tom Seaver in the book. There'll be no other commentary on that. Very short intro, the conversation with Bill Madden, uh, award-winning author, longtime uh, journalist over at the New York Daily News, had a great book about George Steinbrenner that I, as a baseball fan, I recommend you read. I had a chance to talk with Bill about 10 years ago, so it's been about 10 years since I spoke to Bill. And, uh, and away you go. So be prepared for that. 
and then we'll sit back. I think New Year's will probably take that week off unless something happens. And then we're back at it in January. The free agency hopefully will start to heat up. You'll have some kind of hot stove. The Hall of Fame, we got to have that conversation. We always talk about that. And if you remember last year, we thought we were going to do uh, maybe some period where there's the inactivity that we're seeing now. We were going to see that in January. That usually happens around uh, you know, the 15th of January leading into the last couple of weeks before pitchers and catchers. But last year you had the sign stealing and, and all the other garbage that came down. The Mets had to find a new manager. So we that whole thing got blown to bits. So who knows what's going to happen. It's very hard to schedule news anymore because all the traditional ways that you saw things playing out from a news cycle when it comes to the hot stove, they're not the same anymore. Everything's virtual, no winter meetings, uh, uncertainty with the CBA, on and on and on and so forth. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy your holiday. We'll be back with another podcast, special edition of the podcast on Christmas Day, Bill Madden. We're going to be talking about his new book on Tom Seaver. Till then, take care, everybody.